Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell and welcome to the Weekend Preview on the Athletic Football Podcast, sponsored by Bet365. On Fridays, we're here to preview the best of the weekend's Premier League action and I've got my co-host George Ellick and Bet365 Steve Freeth alongside me to help, as always. George, Steve, how are you? Good, thanks, mate. Always good to speak to you um, before the weekend's action, spending most of the day catching up with all things uh, Premier League, all things Champions League and all things EFL. So uh, lots of football to watch, but, but getting through it. Yeah, Steve, the one that everyone would have called midweek, Sheriff travelling to Real Madrid and coming away with three points. I mean, we all knew that was going to happen, didn't we? Oh, Dan, the coupon buster of all coupon busters. That was, uh, from a bookmaker's point of view, an excellent result, really. Um, yeah, 33 to 1 they were in play. Um, Sheriff, I think about 25 to 1 pre-game as well. So, uh, yeah, we had some decent results in midweek and there were plenty of goals in there as well. So um, it was uh, it was quite a good week in the end. Of course, you had some great games as well. PSG, Manchester City, the boy Messi, not doing a great deal, but then scoring a fantastic goal. So, yeah, uh, just goes to show the quality of play that, it, uh, that he still is. And George, just before we've come to record this podcast, the England squad has been announced for the Andorra and Hungary games. Got to admit, as a Villa fan, a bit surprised that Ollie Watkins has been called up. I'm pleased for him because I think he deserves it off the, off the back end of, of last season. But perhaps Tammy Abraham might feel a little bit hard done by this time. Yeah, I think he definitely should do. Um, Abraham's gone to Roma. He's settled in very, very quickly. He's incredibly popular with the Roma fans already. He's playing very good football. And you feel like if somebody makes a move to, a, you know, a bit of a European giant in Roma, an English player, and is getting first-team football consistently and playing well and isn't rewarded for that form, um, it's a bit of an issue. I I think Ivan Toney can probably feel a bit hard done by that he hasn't had his first call-up, given his form in the Premier League so far. Um, There's a few players, you know, Jude Bellingham isn't included either, uh, nor is Mason Greenwood. I think Gareth Southgate said in his press conference it's because they're playing too many games uh, as young players. Mm. But then you've got Mason Mount, who's selected despite being injured for the last two weeks at, at Chelsea. Uh, Bukayo Saka, another young player who's playing a lot of games. It doesn't really stack up. Uh, I'm happy to see um, Fikayo Tomori, somebody else who's made a move to Italy and getting a reward for his form, but he probably wouldn't be selected if it wasn't for Harry Maguire's injury. Um, Trent Alexander-Arnold, apparently his omission is due to fitness rather than form as well, which, which is good to see. But, you know, the cycle of being an England fan, love Gareth Southgate during uh, for a couple of weeks um, every other summer. And then when you see the squads coming out for the for the qualifiers, I don't think many people are, are overly happy with it, with a few of the emissions. Against Andorra and Hungary, it feels like a good opportunity to give a couple of guys their their rewards mm. for some good form, but he's stuck to the the allies instead. 
Yeah, I'd like to see Bellingham given a couple of games actually from the start, give him 90 minutes in an England shirt, see see him in full flight. But it is what it is, and Gareth Southgate has done what he has done. There'll be plenty of England content coming up on The Athletic as well as all the stuff around the Premier League, Serie A, La Liga, everything. You can get everything you're looking for on The Athletic. And you can sign up at the moment and get 33% off. Just go to theathletic.com slash football pod and you will see that offer in front of you. Let's do what we're here to do then and preview the Premier League. First game, Steve, Manchester United against Everton, 12.30 on Saturday. Manchester United, typical Manchester United against Villarreal on Wednesday night, getting that late goal. And the Manchester United fans seem buoyant, they seem jubilant about it, but I think it, it, it's a bit desperate. The way that he celebrated on the, on the touchline when that winner went in, and it's kind of papered over the cracks really a little bit, hasn't it? I mean, your boys... I know there was a missed penalty at the end, but your boys were, I thought, well, well worthy of those three points. And obviously yeah. that hurts me to say that as well. But uh, I think it, I think you were well worthy. I think you were about seven to one to win that game. I think there were sixteen to one in play last night, uh, Manchester United. But Oli only ever seems to be a couple of bad results away from from so much scrutiny, doesn't he? There's no such thing with a middle ground with him, I don't think. It's either half full or or half empty. And when they struggle, we always talk about the centre midfield, don't we? You know, that's not been good enough, I think. I, I Listen, I'm not a United fan, but I don't know their best team, I have to say. I'm, I'm not sure he does. And, and what's he no. going to do with, you know, Cavani, Rashford... They're going to be kicking their heels on the bench, you know, with Donny van der Beek as well. Um, God knows what he thinks at the moment. And of course, there's Sancho as well. So, um, you know, what's happening with him? It's, uh, I mean, they were very well backed at the start of the season to win uh, the Premier League. You know, they were down to about 11 or 2. I think they're, you know, they're, they're a bit bigger now. But personally, I just cannot see that in the slightest. Yeah, you know when they like engrave season ticket holders' names into the seats? I think they do it at Old Trafford, actually, when you've had a season ticket for a certain amount of time. I think Donny van der Beek is not far off having his name engraved <laughs> on the dugout at the moment, the way he's, the way he's going, because that guy cannot get off the bench to save his life. George Steve touched on it there, Jaden Sancho, and, and Carl Anker's done a piece on The Athletic on his slow start to life at Old Trafford. It's just not happened for him so far, but I guess it is early days and it is difficult when you're in and out the team playing in different positions as well. So I think there is mitigating circumstances, but for the fee, Manchester United fans would have expected more so far from him. Yeah, they, they would have done. Um, I don't necessarily think there's any need to panic at the moment. I think coming into, you know, we're often told that Manchester United is a, is a different club um, and there is something to that you know the expectation that goes alongside being a Manchester United player um, the it's a very far cry for Jadon Sancho especially coming off the back of a missed penalty in a Euros final to swap um, a place like Borussia Dortmund where there is such an amazing environment for young players to flourish to, and I'm not saying that isn't the case at Manchester United but more just the pressure cooker that is suddenly being a Manchester United player being an English player bought for that sum of money um, going into a club where there is such a rich, rich history of, of players who've come through and done it before. It, it doesn't help that he comes in, he's come into a side who aren't playing well. You know, you, you take out that Leeds performance on opening day, which I think had as much to do with Leeds being incredibly poor without Calvin Phillips as it did um, Manchester United being very good, albeit they scored some fantastic goals. United have been poor this season um, so far. Last night was, or Wednesday night was a, another example of sheer individual quality being enough to win games. You know, the, the saves from David De Gea in the first half kept the score at nil-nil for as long as it did. And then Ronaldo has just the most incredible appetite and ability 
ability to win games for his teams late on and that is massive and the fact they've got that star quality is incredibly important but for Sancho to come into a side where in general gameplay in terms of, of controlling matches they're lacking that they don't seem to have much ability to prevent the opposition from creating plenty of chances they don't seem to be a side who are able to control games and control the ball whilst also creating a great deal themselves Manchester United games at the moment are a very very frantic um, and it's hard for him to, to really stake his claim I think the best thing for Jadon Sancho would be that if he could come into a side knowing he was going to play out on the left in his favourite position for 75, 80 minutes every game for, for 15 or so games and not have his performances scrutinised. But that isn't what life as a Manchester United player is. So I've got no doubt that he will improve. He is too good a player and too good a talent not to, um, irrespective of whether or not the manager is the right person to get the best out of him. I probably shouldn't have done it. It was, it was and I couldn't help myself from engaging, but I just tweeted a poll um, because you know my, you know I I, I cover the EFL a lot, and I've, I find the the Solskjaer narrative fascinating. Where you've got, I, I've never seen it before. Where you've got a, a club's fan, a club's fan base who are so behind the manager. Generally, I mean, there obviously there there are sections that aren't, but they are behind him and they want him to succeed. Whilst basically all other football fans. <laughs> don't envy them at all and I just thought it was an interesting thing to to find out how many EFL clubs you know we're talking League 1 League 2 Championship clubs would, would actually swap their manager for, for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer you know I'm an Oxford fan I, I personally wouldn't and the, it was quite stark uh, I think of the kind of the 1900 people that voted about 1250 um, said that they wouldn't you're a brave, brave boy with that Twitter post. That, that, <laughs> that, 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 is, that is a brave it seems like the Manchester United fans I feel like the game going fans they back him heavily but I mean, you, I mean, you've had that the opposite there from, from what you've said, but a lot on social media, don't, don't, Steve. But where do you see Solskjaer now? Is he under pressure? Because they do really need to be going for the title and it doesn't look like they've got enough to me at the moment. It's all very tribal, isn't it, being a football fan? Um, yeah. Would I swap in for Val? Um, you know, talking <laughs> of a, a championship club? No, I wouldn't. I, I think there is there is a balance to be had and it's something that I missed for a long time with Solskjaer's reign is that I think United fans felt like they had basically lost the club had lost its way um, whether it was the appointment of Moyes itself who they who now seems to just you know when you mention the name Graham Potter they're like well we already tried a, an up and coming Premier League manager that didn't work you mention Allegri or Conte and they're like well hold on we had Mourinho and and Louis van Gaal although in my opinion the fact that previously world-class managers have come in and done a bad job doesn't mean that an elite manager isn't going to come in and be able to do better but there is a side to this where under Solskjaer the, the trajectory of Manchester United has been allowed to improve whether or not you know Solskjaer gets a lot of credit from Manchester United fans for their recruitment strategy and for their ability to bring through youth and, and I'm somebody who often thinks that managers get a lot of credit for parts of the football club that they are not responsible for. Um, you know, often you, you talk about managers' transfer records. Well, these days, if you are a football club at the top level of football, where the manager is having more than just a say in your recruitment, then you are behind the times because these clubs have massive recruitment teams and realistically you could replace the head coach and maintain that process and maintain the strategy that's there. But Solskjaer's presence and his popularity with the fans has definitely enabled Manchester United to lay these founda foundations with a happy fan base, build for the future, now the question is, is he a good enough manager to succeed? Some fans say that he should surround himself with world-class coaches. I mean, that is fine. I don't think that is a very um, smart way to look at things. 
Um, is his in-game management good enough? All evidence so far suggests not. This is it now. I, I don't buy into the idea that they need to replace Fred. They need to replace McTominay in order to have a chance because, you know, we're looking at Manchester City who are the even money favourites for the Premier League. They don't even have a striker. So you can't sit there and say, you know, until we have a defensive midfielder who's better than Fred, we can't be expected to challenge. The squad is good enough. So we're going to find out in the next 18 months, you know, just just how good, I guess, or how bad Ollie is in terms of being a coach rather than being a custodian of a club in which, which he has done a very, very good job at. Yeah, I think he's had six transfer windows now, Steve. Rafa Benitez at Everton has had one. I mean, you look at you look at that one window. Andros Townsend and, and Damari Gray were hardly the most the most glamorous of signings in the summer, but they have made Everton a better team. And when you throw in Decore in midfield, who's been revitalised under Rafa as well, you know, I wouldn't bet against them getting something against United on Saturday. Oh, I tell you what, Dan, I, I looked at Everton's business during the transfer window, and you, I saw Gray, I saw Townsend, I thought bang average and I thought mid-table mid-table at bestie I think Rafa will do well there's all the negativity about Rafa as well and the sales of bed sheets were going through the roof in Merseyside and and there he signed Townsend and this is a player that previously I've never been totally convinced of I've, I've kind of joked in the past about him burning down the right wing cutting inside on his left foot and putting in Rosette because um, he seemed to have an awful lot of shots but what I've seen this season is a player full of confidence. The fact that he's took the penalty as well. I know his goals and assists have been great so far. He's created 11 chances, by the way, already this season, which is fantastic. But he's working his socks off as well for Everton as well. You know, and 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 defensive side of his game as well has been has been impressive. And um, I think Everton go there and they'll fancy their chances. It feels like Manchester United are late to me. Yeah, I mean, I will say that Townsend had a brief spell under Rafa. At Newcastle and was very, very good, albeit that they got relegated. So they've worked together before. He certainly knows yeah. how to get a tune out of him. And Paddy Boylan's done a piece on The Athletic as well about Andros Townsend. So if you're not already subscribed, take advantage of that offer and take a look at that Everton fans. Steve, you got a tip? Yeah, I just think we know uh, Harry Maguire. I feel, feel that Manchester United might be just a little bit vulnerable at set plays. We saw that against uh, against your boys, Dan. And... Um, I'm going for Everton maybe to be a threat from set players. I'm looking at former Manchester United man Michael Keane, who's 50 to 1 each way to get the first goal. Hmm. Um, so um, that's the route I'm going to go. And hopefully, I know I, I mentioned Pinnock last week as well. Yeah, at, I was uh, going to say, you made a good call last week. <laughs> yeah, at a similar price. Uh, let's hope that Michael Keane can do the business we this to. weekend. Uh, yeah, let's move on very, very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was actually at Stoke Hall and it was a late game and I was faffing around and forgotten about it. And I was coming back in the car from the Bet365 and there's a goal, Brentford. I thought, oh, not Pinnock, please. And yes, Pinnock. Yeah, but anyway, we move on. Pin Diesel. Pinned to my subs bench on fantasy football as well, which was very, very <laughs> annoying for me. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Game two of this preview show is Brighton against Arsenal, 5.30pm on Saturday. Brighton gunning for the Champions League, Arsenal probably not. But I will give them credit. I'm, I'm a bit nasty to Arsenal on a regular basis, so I will give them some credit, George. I watched them last week against Spurs, and as bad as Spurs were, Arsenal were good. Someone that really stood out was Martin Erdegaard. 
because it was Smith Rowe and Saka that, that scored the goals, George, he kind of went a little bit under the radar. But what impressed me about him was he was playing as a number 10. But you usually associate someone who's controlling the game with being a deep-lying midfielder. But I felt like he controlled the game from a number 10 position, which is quite rare and credit to him. I mean, he's a he's an excellent talent. You can see um, just watching him on the pitch, the way that he moves, the way that he presses, his vision on the ball. Um I thought he was impressive as well. And I guess the reason why what you're saying is true, you know, he controlled the game from high up the pitch and that was because Arsenal's pressing was very good. They they, they knit the ball in advanced areas a lot. They made Tottenham um, look so average, I thought. You know, this is a classic case, I think, of a lot of neutrals watching this game unwilling to give Arsenal too much credit by pointing at how poor Spurs were. But I think that's unfair. I think that Arsenal looked sharp. Um, they looked like they came in with a game plan. They understand how they were going to they were going to hurt uh, Spurs out wide. Um, you know, I was happy having last week on the podcast maybe pointed to the fact that that their poor form had been a bit overplayed um, by many, you know, in the media and by many fans as well. Um, they looked to me just to be a much better side than Spurs, to be honest. Um, Odegaard is a player who, you know, along with, with Ben White, um, a lot of people were pointing these signings wondering, you know, are these guys who are going to improve Arsenal immediately? And whilst they not they may not fall into the category where we see most, um, you know, the, the biggest or the best teams in, in the country at the moment, the likes of Man City, Manchester United, who are looking to buy players at their prime or, or possibly even after their prime in, in some cases, um, Arsenal's... Um, different although they still spend a lot of money and, and Ramsdale falls into that as well and he played very well against Spurs too um, these are guys who are exciting and who are going to be given a lot of trust by Mikel Arteta to be the spine of their team and they all performed admirably and uh, Odegaard certainly I've got a a, um, a nephew or a couple of nephews who are um, big Arsenal fans and I watched the game with one of them on Sunday and, and you know Odegaard is pretty popular with young fans as you can imagine given his where he's come from the way he plays football as well um, and they've got an exciting team you know you look at Smith Rowe who I think is also pretty unlucky to, to miss out on the England squad today Gareth Southgate said he was very close to picking him um, you look at Saka of course too you know there is a lot to like here and if that is going to be the level of performance that we see from Arsenal going forward if they can put the poor start to the season behind them um, this should be a, a very exciting um, team and let's also mention Granit Xhaka because I think a lot of Arsenal fans were a bit concerned when Granit Xhaka was recalled to the starting lineup for a North London derby but didn't he play well um, he was essential to their yeah. solid defensive efforts uh, and put in a really really responsible performance for once in a in a, in a North London derby Unfortunately for Granite Jacker, he's played well and then picked up an injury that's going to keep him out for what, six to eight weeks, I think it is. So get well soon, Granite Jacker. Now, Steve, James McNicholas has described Saka and Smith Rowe as a combination made in heaven and they've assisted each other five times in the Premier League already. Now, only one pair of players aged 21 or under have fared better in the competition's history and that's Wayne Rooney and Cristiano Ronaldo, who obviously cost a fair bit of money at the time. How refreshing is it for Arsenal to you know, have those two players combine in two of their own? All football fans like that, don't they? You know, two of their own and, you know, the, the academy and things like that. And to see them flourish together, they clearly both know each other's games, as you mentioned, with them assisting. I mean, both for them to be on the score sheet as well, um, the first half on Sunday. I watched that first half and 
completely blown away by that by that Arsenal performance. And while those two guys were superb, weren't they, fitting either side of Odegaard uh, in that midfield? I mean, you, you go down their ages, Dan, in the Arsenal team. Ramsdale, what is he, around around 22? Tomoyasu, who's coming, has looked brilliant. Probably one of their players of the season mm. so far at, at, at fullback as well. Why, too, got bullied by Tony in the opening game? All of a sudden, he looks a, a better player now. Um, defensively, Arsenal look a, look a lot stronger, I suppose. All things look a bit more rosier in that Arsenal garden. And those two guys, Saka and Smith-Rowe, are certainly at the forefront of that so far this season. Yeah, for Brighton, Steve, Malpay, love him or loathe him. You know, he's a very talented player, a good finisher, lovely finish against Palace on Monday. Apparently, he's outperforming yeah. his XG as well. I think, I think he had some, some troubles last season, but he looks back to his best this time round. He does. He's also got a little bit of history against Arsenal as well, so, so that will be interesting. I mean, yeah. last season... Last season, Dan, he, he started really well. He got four in four uh, pretty early on. But he had a real second, a poor second half to, to the campaign. He got one goal in the last, what was it, uh, four four months. And he was also sent off against Wolves as well. And So he ended up with eight goals, but his XG was more like 16. And he's got four goals from 11 shots this season. Um, he's 100-1 to one to finish as top goal scorer. I know that's probably a big old ask, but but with four places available, you know, Bamford got a place last season. Uh, Danny Ings got one for Southampton, you know, uh, the season before that. So with him having four goals, uh, we've got a market out on how many goals he'll score this season. So I'm going to ask both of you guys your opinion. 12. 14. Okay. 11 to 13 is 7 to 4 and 14 to 16 is... Nine to four. He's he's eighteen to one to get uh, to get twenty or more this season, and I'll be interested to see how he does against that that mean Arsenal defence that we've seen over the last few games. Yeah, I think Gabriel coming back for Arsenal is a, a big thing. I think he does make a huge difference back there for the Gunners. George, have you got a tip for this game? I find it pretty difficult to split these two, to be honest. Um, Arsenal are the eleven to eight favourites. Brighton twenty-one to ten. The draw nine to four. Um, Arsenal were about eleven to eight, I think, Steve, weren't they? Uh, at home to Spurs, should they be the same price away at Brighton compared to home to Spurs? I mean, in my opinion, Brighton's performance levels over the last few weeks has been probably higher than Spurs' with home advantage as well. But then do I want to be backing a Brighton side um, at a price where I still think Arsenal are a little bit underrated in the market? Probably not. I wasn't particularly impressed with Brighton um, on Monday Night Football against Palace, but I think that may have had more to do with their with the team they were playing it up against. Um, so I, I'm not a big draw better normally it's not my style but when I look at the three possible outcomes and see that the draw is the biggest price at nine to four for two teams who I think are pretty well matched for two teams who are pretty solid defensively who have attacking options too and who are likely going to want to sit on any lead that they get into um, I I think that probably is is the value in the game so um, yeah speculative punt on the draw at nine to four um, the outside with the three but I think probably not the least likely result It goes and Morpé could be in. Morpé! Oh, they've done it! Albion have done it again at Selhurst Park and it's still Morpé. All smiles on the bench and absolute bedlam in the stands because Neil Morpé, out of absolutely nothing, has snatched a point. Patrick Vieira can't believe it, but this Albion side just don't know when they're beaten. Crystal Palace v Leicester is next up for us, Sunday 2pm. Steve, a player you, you know well, Conor Gallagher, 
great start to life in a Palace shirt. Seems to really suit him being there. And he seems to be let off the leash a little bit by, by Patrick Vieira. Won a penalty on Monday, but, but all round, he's got off to a good start and he's a good player. Yeah, I love him. Um, Palace fans are asking me at the start of the season, yeah, what was Gallagher like at the Albion? And listen, his, his work rate, his, his attitude to... In, a, in let's be honest, was a real struggling team, but he, he looked absolutely first class. The one thing that used to drive me mad was his diving. I thought he used to go to ground very easy, and I'm watching the game on Monday and I see him go down for the penalty. I, you know, I, I understand it. You know, it was uh, it took a bit of a blow, but that was the one thing I said to Palace fans. You, I, I, I was just I was going to say tearing my hair out, but clearly that's not the case. But I was uh, I did notice that he uh, that he won that penalty on Monday night. He's got two goals. He's got three assists. I did also notice that. Uh, Milivojevic starting. He wasn't on set plays. He he has been previously. I mean, he's already had 22 touches in the penalty area for Palace, which is more than Zahar. So exciting season for Conor Gallagher and I wish him well. Yeah, good, good player. It wouldn't surprise me if he was getting England honours in the future. Leicester, George, what seems to be a funny team that you think are going to do well? You think they've got a better squad than they had last season, obviously ended up finishing fifth for the, the second year running. It hasn't quite happened for them. I can't quite work them out. I know they've had injuries at the back, which will never help having the inconsistency of team selection. But they're not quite hit the heights that you'd anticipate. Definitely not. Um, they, I think, have been almost low-key, the most disappointing team so far in the Premier League. Uh, you look at their results so far this season. They beat Wolves on opening day, but as we spoke a lot about at the time, Wolves could feel pretty hard done by by that result. They beat Norwich 2-1 away from home and made fairly hard work of beating the side who seemingly every single Premier League team can beat at the moment. They beat Millwall away in the Carabao Cup, a Millwall side who are struggling in the championship you'd expect them to beat. Apart from that, it's two draws and three defeats in all competitions. One of those draws was was a not a great team put out against uh, not a great Napoli team. And then a tall draw against against Burnley, where again, there wasn't really a great deal between the two sides. They They felt to me like they were the side who looked primed to make a charge towards the, those top four teams that we expect to finish in the top four. But on current form, they're, they're miles behind. They need to, to turn it around pretty quickly. You know, this isn't the first time that we've seen a, a Brendan Rodgers management arc of reaching some pretty extraordinary highs only for a bit of rot to set in. And, and at the moment, that's how it looks. They, they don't feel like the same Leicester. They don't feel like they're playing with necessarily the same intensity. They are having a lot of the ball. You know, not often do teams... Um, dominate the ball against against Brighton, but certainly in that game um, the other day, the two under feet, um, Leicester had all of the ball. They penned Brighton back into their own halves, but they couldn't really create much of note. So this is going to be difficult because they come up against a Palace side who I just think look incredibly impressive under Patrick Vieira. Um, they, you know, if if Leicester are the disappointment so far this season for Palace, for me, have got to be the surprise package. If you spoke to anybody who'd seen much of Patrick Vieira or knew much of Patrick Vieira as a coach, a manager. Nobody anticipated that he would be able to implement this incredibly effective high press. You know, again, Brighton couldn't really get out on on Monday night, looking to keep the ball in high areas, creating chances very quickly. Wilfred Zaha looks strong and in form, and and as if he's really pulling for the manager. Conor Gallagher we mentioned there as well. So this is a really awkward game for Leicester. It's the game that Leicester fans would anticipate that they should win, but on the balance of play and the performances we've seen so far, they're going to have to really up the game if they're going to see off this Palace side, assuming that Palace maintain their style, their intensity and their performance levels. Dan, I think I think a big part of Leicester's uh, slow start this season has been uh, 
has been Johnny Evans, despite his um, advancing years. He missed four games at the end of last season. I know they won the FA Cup, and but they conceded 12 goals in those four games. He's yet to start a game this season, and they've conceded 10, maybe more if you're looking at the at the XG. Uh, he's there missing his leadership qualities, that's for sure. I think if you ask Sionchu why he's not had a great start to the season, I think the lack of Johnny Evans next to him is a big part of that. His ability on the ball, left foot, right foot, his ability in the air, I think he's... Uh, clearly, from an Albion fan's point of view, I know it's a pretty low bar, Dan, but I think Johnny Evans is the best um, Albion player to have played in the Premier League. And um, that will be a that will be a big blow for, for Leicester City, despite his advancing years. Like I said, it was a massive shower that is, Steve. I wasn't wasn't expecting that from you at all. One player who'll probably go down as Leicester's best ever Premier League player is Jamie Vardy, and he just shows no oh. signs of slowing down at all. Just when you think he might slow down, you know he's got a bit of competition. It's just been a revelation again so far. Leicester aren't flying, but he is. He just he's he's incredible. I mean, those two goals—not his own goal, obviously—but the two goals against Burnley were so Jamie Vardy esque. The way that he did it. I mean, he he limped to. I mean, how many did he get last season? It was fifteen, wasn't it? He but he rarely scored after Christmas. Whether yeah. that uh, Ianacho was maybe back in the team and and Rogers changed the formation a little bit, didn't he, to get Ianacho up front and, and play a two? But he got nine assists last season as well. So fifty percent of his shots are on target. Um, He's eighteen to one to win another another golden boot again with four places up for offer. You know maybe that could be uh, could be the each way play. That that is a good bet. I would say that's a, that's a solid bet. You wouldn't bet against that happening at all. Talking of bets, let's have your tips, Dave. Yeah, Anthony Taylor's actually in 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 charge of this game, uh, and he's been showing a lot of uh, a lot of cards in the Champions League. Twenty cards in three games, but he's. He's not averaging many in the Premier League. I know that he sent off Rhys James in that Chelsea-Liverpool game, but I think I think there's a chance here of, uh, of, of the game being low on cards, so I'm going to go for under three and a half cards in this game. I'll tell you what, you talk about, you've talked about George being a referee geek and a geek in previous podcasts, Dave. That, that was pretty geeky <laughs> in uh, itself, I would say. Big, big shoes to fill the boy, Alec. He knows his stuff. <laughs> <laughs> this is a paid advertisement from Better Health Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stresses, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athletic football with no spaces. Right then, before we continue with the podcast, please remember that if you are going to have a bet this weekend, make sure that you do so responsibly. George, you've got some helpful tips on how to make sure that we do just that. Yeah, it's important to us that the listeners of this podcast are in control of their gambling. This is a podcast for those who are 18 years of age and older. Please ensure that you are only staking what you can afford to lose and do visit begambleaware.org for any information to ensure that you're gambling responsibly. 
Let's see, we've nearly got to a podcast without any geekery from George, so we'll, we'll see how we fare. One more game left to preview, which is Liverpool against Manchester City. I had some good uh, Rafa Benitez record against uh, Manchester United stuff for you, but you never came to me, so I had to, I had to put it in the bin. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Next time, next time we talk about Rafa. It's, it's good. You, That's you, all you need you to know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Game four then, final preview of this week is Liverpool against Manchester City, 4.30pm on Sunday. The big one, George. Excited for it because you know both teams won't really change the way they play, so you just know it's going to be a good game. Yeah, you'd think so. I mean, that is, I often, and I've said it here, I said it before, the City's, um, the Chelsea City game, normally in the Premier League, games between teams at the top end of the table are normally pretty drab affairs. Now that should come with a, with a, with a caveat not when it's Manchester City against Liverpool because mm, these yeah. two teams, they've had one goalless draw, I think, in the last um, 10 or so years, these two, basically since they're ascend- you know, they ascended towards the top end and certainly under with Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp coming up against each other who have such a long rivalry, you know, from back in the Dortmund um, by Munich days. There is always a score to settle and I think there is a massive score for Liverpool to settle here. Um, they will want revenge not just for their title being taken from them last season um, unceremoniously, but also think back to the last time these two teams met at Anfield and City did them 4-1 uh, in an empty Anfield as well. So for Liverpool, who will feel like that, both in terms of last season and in terms of that last game, will feel like they need to, like it wasn't them effectively. They didn't have the cop singing You'll Never Walk Alone before. They didn't have, you know, we know how electric Anfield can be in these big games. They didn't have any centre-backs as well, let's remember. They weren't at their strongest. So I think coming into this one, even though City are seen as being title favourites, um, there is more to this than just to a game between two sides who are, are looking to win the league. I think there is an opportunity for Liverpool to, to well and truly put last season to bed and also show everybody because the market still has them as, as you know third favourite seven or two you know in with a chance basically winning the title but probably not going to happen this is their opportunity to say hold on we've started this season incredibly well you know we, we're looking at the Champions League in midweek more people are talking about the fact that City got beat 2-0 well Liverpool went to Porto won 5-1 Porto are not, are not a bad side that is just a continuation of Liverpool having an incredibly impressive start to the season you look at the team they've dropped points against yes they drew three all against Brentford which a casual football fan might look at and think, well, that's not a very good result. But Brentford have been legitimately very, very good this season. They drew yeah. one over Chelsea, a, a fine result. You know, it's, it's another game against one of these teams towards the top end. They've started the season well, and this is an opportunity for them to prove their title credentials once and for all. Yeah, and another player that started the season well, and perhaps is a little bit unfortunate not to have been considered for Gareth Southgate's England squad, is Curtis Jones, plays in a variety of roles, and Kiva O'Neill has spoke to us about his impact so far this season. Hi, it's Kiva O'Neill, Liverpool writer for The Athletic here. Curtis Jones didn't have the start of the season he would have wanted when he suffered that concussion against Osasuna. Uh, just ahead of the Norwich opener. So that ruled him out of that game, which was disappointing to him after swaggering through pre-season. Many thought he would start that game. Uh, Harvey Elliott's rise then sort of took off and that put him down uh, in the pecking order somewhat. He then featured against Stacey Milan in the Champions League and a short cameo against Crystal Palace in the league followed. He was battling away all the time. You could sense it from those short cameos that he wanted to be starting for Liverpool. 
That start eventually came against Norwich in the League Cup, where he started in the holding role and showed not only his versatility, but real quality. That performance was backed up by his display against Brentford, which was bright even though the game was topsy-turvy. His goal there, the best example of what he can produce on the pitch for Liverpool. Jones. Oh, it's in! It's got a deflection on the way through. And Liverpool lead again. Don't think it probably would have beaten Raya without the touch. But hey, no one in yellow is complaining. Then, of course, we have to talk about Porto in the Champions League in midweek. This felt like his coming-of-age performance, even for a player who's already made over 50 appearances now for Liverpool. He had a hand in all five goals. He dominated from the off. It was one of the best attacking performances I've ever seen from a Liverpool midfielder. Jürgen Klopp has spoke a lot about Curtis and about the consistency he now needs to go and reproduce that performance again and again, and that'll be something he'll be aiming for as the season continues. Yeah, George, he had a great game in midweek against Porto. Felt like everything Liverpool were doing that was good, he was involved in. Yeah, I think he's almost the forgotten English superstar young talent. Uh, he doesn't get anywhere near the kind of adulation and praise that a lot of the other guys um, of around his age do. Uh, yet he's been incredibly impressive for Liverpool over the past couple of seasons. He's improving regularly and that Porto performance was the first time we've seen him just dominate a game of football at the very top level. Everything went through him. He's incredibly creative. He uses the ball very, very well. Um, I, I don't know why there isn't more fanfare surrounding Curtis Jones because this is a guy who is going who is destined to be a starter for Liverpool for a long long time to come and he is deserving very soon I think of getting his chance for, for England so delighted to see him doing well and a, a massive fan of, of him because he's a big talent yeah always wants the ball as well wherever he's playing on the pitch always he's shows always it, involved yeah. he always wants the ball and that's the sign of a good player for me never shying away even when the going's tough Manchester City were pretty perfect against Chelsea last week, Steve, but then really looked like they were lacking a striker against PSG. Although I've got to say, I actually thought they played really well against PSG on another day. Maybe if they did have a striker, they might have taken something for the game. But this this is the issue, isn't it? Not having that number nine. Yeah, I suppose. Didn't uh, Sterling played there in midweek, didn't he? And um, there was chances missed, wasn't there? There was those two chances in in, in very quick succession that uh, somehow didn't go in. They had seven shots on target actually in that game, and all they were missing was was someone just to put the icing on the cake. I know they did well last season without a you know without a, a regular number nine, so to speak. I think defensively, Dan, I think they've been saying, I know they conceded two goals. They were they were great at Chelsea. And and this game with the Liverpool side that have the highest XG, they're averaging over eight shots on target a game as well um, against a defence that have only conceded six shots on target all season, you know, with five clean sheets since that opening day defeat to Spurs as well. I think that's going to be a, a fascinating battle between the two. And it's a game that, uh, that I'm really looking forward to. I know George mentioned at the top there about the about the game last season when it finished 4-1. I think that was the first time that uh, Liverpool had lost at home to, to City in the league since since 2003. It was a time when we saw another an, another missed penalty. Gundogan missed a, a penalty. The third Manchester City player not even to hit the target from a penalty against uh, against Liverpool for Manchester City, which was quite incredible. But it's a, it's a fascinating game and it's one that I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, what are the odds saying for both of those teams in the Champions League and the Premier League now, Steve? Because Liverpool felt a little bit under the radar at the start of the season but now they're showing what they're about again they are but as as George mentioned they are third favourites you know they are third behind uh, Chelsea at 11-4 and Manchester City at evens listen if Manchester City signed Harry Kane today Manchester City would be around 4-6 to to win the title 
from even money that was shortened automatically. They are joint favourites with PSG to win the uh, to win the Champions League. Liverpool are eight to one, the same price as as Chelsea as well. So it just goes to show, Dan, that, you know, I know they weren't great in midweek, but there's, there's still a lot of confidence behind Manchester City. And Manchester City were favourites to win at Stamford Bridge. They're also favourites to win this game as well uh, at Anfield as well to carry on from last season's performance. So they're seven to five with Liverpool touching two to one to win the game, which might surprise a few people. That does surprise me. You know, in these kind of games, Liverpool have got that man, George, that's going to get you 20 goals a season. Mo Salah, he's, he's in sensational form at the moment as well. Man City not having that goal score it's a, it's a massive problem I know they won the league last season I know they share the goals round not having that 20 goal a season striker you don't associate teams very often winning the league if they haven't got that No you don't I mean it, it should be mentioned as well that Sergio Aguero did not play much football last season so you kind of already feel like Manchester City have, have won a Premier League title without a recognised striker yeah. um, To do and, that twice though I'd say is a, a big ask And there is no question that the quality of the opposition here in terms of, of Liverpool and Chelsea this iteration of Liverpool and Chelsea compared to, compared to last season it's totally different um, City would have had their performance levels would have had to drop so far for them to be you know as Manchester United who finished second I think they were 12 points behind them closer to seventh than, than top um, which just showed how weak the league was it, it is going to be tricky for them but at the same time they have a manager in um, Pep Guardiola who has chosen not to play strikers um, you know, not to get incredibly kind of nerdy here, but there's also the argument to be had that Too late. football players that there's no that the football players don't intrinsically possess a position. You know, you have some people saying, "Hold on, Gabriel Jesus is a striker." Well, he's not a striker if he doesn't play up front. If he's going to persist with playing Raheem Sterling as a false nine, or if he's going to play Phil Foden there, or whoever, there will be somebody adopting a position to try and score goals. Is that going to be enough? I think it probably will be okay for, for for a great deal of the season. I think there are going to be times when they come up against better opposition and struggle to to create a great deal. But this is a side who who just went to Chelsea, um, only conceded five shots in the game to a side who are incredibly strong at home, um, managed to create a fair bit themselves and, and got a win away from home. So we've got to respect what Pep Guardiola has done. We've got to respect how good the players are who will be maybe filling in in a role they're not used to playing. Um it's not a case like we've maybe seen at Barcelona recently where they've gone to Middlesbrough and taken Martin Braithwaite and stuck him up top, in which case I would be concerned. But in terms of a punting proposition, I think the tip here has to be to, to side with Liverpool because I, I do think the market may have just still said it every week. I think the market's got them wrong. I think they're way closer to Chelsea and City than, than the Premier League winner market suggests. I think their performance levels are very high. I think that there is a a, a, a right, sorry, a wrong to right, I should say, uh, from last season, both in terms of the season itself. I think that the fans and the atmosphere at Anfield gives them a marked home advantage as well, especially with City having to come here off the back of what is an incredibly difficult um, seven or eight days. You know, going to Stamford Bridge, going to Paris, then going to Anfield, that is going to take its toll. So I'm going to draw no bet at even money, uh, Liverpool here. Um, so you get your money back if it's a draw, basically laying. City and getting on board Liverpool. Uh, I think there has to be the, the value play here. Until we see otherwise from Liverpool, I'm massively upgrading what we've seen so far uh, compared to where the market has them. Got to say, I, I fancy Liverpool on Sunday. I think, I think Liverpool will have too much going forward for City, actually. So, yeah, that, that that's a good pick in my eyes because I, I, I would heavily back Liverpool. At Anfield, the fans there, you just know what, what it can be. Like I, I think Liverpool have got a great chance. Yeah, I think um, I was looking towards the uh, the booking markets, Dan, where I thought if, if James Milner 
starts uh, in, in place of, of Trent and maybe Jack yeah. being over that side as well. I can see uh, I can see Milner getting stuck in a little bit. He's around four to one to be booked as well. So um, if I was going to have a wager on that game, I'd be maybe looking towards uh, the evergreen J- uh, James Milner to be <laughs> to be carded in this game. Decent shouts, Dave. Thank you very much. And thank you to all you guys as well for listening. Just quickly remind you that you can sign up to The Athletic for 33% off at the moment. So that's just £3.33 a month for 12 months. Just head to theathletic.com slash football pod. That offer's been around a while now. I'd love to know the odds on on when that offer's going to go away because it has been there (laughs) for a long, long time. Thanks to George and Steve for joining me. Remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss a show. You've been listening to The Athletic Football Podcast. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the football. The Athletic.